Uh, welcome, listeners, to another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm one of your co-hosts, Do- I'm Echo. And I'm Jenny. Today's topic is a continuation of last episode's topic, which was on affirmative action in the workplace and our views on it, some of the frustrations we feel. Today's episode is going to be a little bit more positive because we'll focus on like what we think are next steps or what we would like to see around how affirmative action is treated in the workplace. Good echo. I was just saying, like, I, I'm pro- I think I shared in last episode, the more that we unpack this topic, the less of anxiety or the anxious that I felt about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's going to be super interesting to tap into today's topic, given how relevant our own work can also uh, shed some light on uh, how we view this topic and how can we, how can we also uh make some recommendations on the organization itself yeah yeah no echo you shared with us a really interesting paper the one that was written by um leslie et al in 2014 again the link will be in the description and this paper was on the stigma of affirmative action and how stereotypes related to affirmative action can impede performance so i think that's a very interesting article to talk about why you never want to just hire someone based solely on their race. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you wanted to do quick like introduction to that paper itself, Jenny. Yeah, let's do that. So yeah. uh, so the paper was on uh, affirmative action plans um, in the workplace and how its designation or its perception can potentially be negative for minority members. And so they did a meta-analysis on different studies that look at affirmative action plans to determine if there was an effect on how people perform. Can I add to that? Um, I think one thing I have find it's uh, fascinating is Particularly, I think they looked into the linkage between the uh, perception of affirmative action plans in the workplace and the uh, the subjective performance outcome that those people are having. Um, and I think one of the things that they brought up is uh, the existence of those affirmative actions can stigmatize the the target group. Uh, meaning like some of minority groups, uh, women and uh, other racial minority groups, and also like decrease their perceived performance outcome. Um, And they have explored some of the mechanisms, including some of the stereotyping content uh, that contribute to that uh, decrease in their performance outcome itself. And for our listeners, I think this is a topic that we spoke about in the past with the uh, stereotype content model, where we take a look at warmth and competence of groups of people. And for the um, stereotype threat uh, uh, work that we uh, talked about was with uh, Steele and maybe Steele and Arnson, where uh, we, we talk about how the uh, there is this fear of confirming a negative stereotype of uh, oneself uh, within the, the situational context. And of course, this um, then applies to the organizational context when you're hiring someone through an affirmative action plan 
and how the perceptions of uh, that may be depending on whether there's a perception of whether there's a weak preferential treatment or a strong preferential treatment. And I think if folks within the organization kind of know whether they're what type of uh, what type of preferential treatment there is, there may be a more negative view of those who are brought into the organization uh, through that affirmative action plan. I think it would be helpful if we provided an example. So let's say you are a minority person who gets hired into a leadership role and we can fill that blank in with anything. So you could be a woman, you could be a, a, a black or Asian or a Latino professional. You're some type of minority role or you're some type of minority and you get hired into this leadership role. The, the assumption is that a lot of people might think or going to think, oh, you only got that role because you are a minority. You only got that role because you are a woman um, or, or black or Latino or, or Asian. And um, the, the person who gets hired into that role could be aware of it um, explicitly, uh, consciously or not. But uh, that they're going to have to fight against mm. that bias that people have about them. And, and that could potentially affect how they show up in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, can I pull us back just a little bit in this like duality that in a way we, we all kind of live in uh, as people of color and as high achievers? Sure. Like, like we sometimes feel like we're not taken serious because there is a chance that, that there's this meta process where we think this person thinks that we're that. Or we, th- we think that this person thinks that we only got this because of our race or our gender. Uh, or, or different other statuses that we may hold. And it's kind of frustrating because I would say like for me, I would say I kind of feel it both ways, if that makes sense. Because if you get to a certain point, you want to contend with that and prove that wrong, right? And say like, hey, I didn't get here just on XYZ alone. But then there's also a part of me, and this is me maybe just uh, airing or bringing my awareness to my own um, racism that uh, that uh, that's within the system that I'm in a way embedded in is that sometimes I may actually question that myself as well too of other people of color. Did they get there because of their race? And of course, as I learn more about this, like I know Echo alluded in the past is that, you know, this is all a learning uh, experience for it, this is that I then now want to break it down to like, was it because there was a strong pressure treatment do they get it because of uh, you know a, a tipping, uh, uh, a weak treatment or a weak preferential treatment, or it's a tip, or if they have the same qualifications, the person of color, the person that's underrepresented, got the opportunity, or was this just something that was just something that was just uh, an enhancement opportunity for those who just didn't have the opportunity? And I think as I think more about that, uh, I I try to. Um, Gosh, I don't know how to convey other than like I, 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 it's not not as black and white as I think most people w- would see it. And uh, I want to keep in mind that, uh, gosh, Jenny Echo, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a racist when I say this. I feel like because I've, I've kind of learned from the system and I probably have perpetuated this in a certain sense myself. And there's a part of me that feels kind of guilty about this. I mean, you and I both, I think we all contribute to it, right? And that's why 
uh, and, and the fact that we haven't really had a chance to really talk about this from the Asian perspective, you know, I think that exacerbates it. Mm. But the reason I brought that up was because I know for, for us, you know, well, let me uh, ask the question, like if an Asian person were to be hired into that leadership role, do you think they would face the same pushback as let's say a Latino or a black person who's hired into like, like a leadership role? Like, would they face the affirmative action stereotype, do you think? I would assume yes. It might look slightly different. The content of how it manifests might look slightly different, but I think they would. And I think the in interesting part there is even in our last episode, I has mentioned some of the companies has only targeted certain minority groups to be their diversity goals. So Asians in this case are not even part of this like a diversity goal, goal representation plan. And that kind of give us like a free card on like, hey, if you made it to that top, mm -hmm. that means it's all you, it's all your own competence made it you to be successful. But then on the other hand, if we did actually ended up like having Asians or having the companies, uh, including those diversity goals, which includes Asians as part of the conversation, then Mm -hmm. I'm very worried the same stigma will apply to Asian uh, or a similar implication that might have on Asians because now you quote unquote, even though when we're talking about from action, like oftentimes like Asians were not part of that conversation. Jerry, I would say like um, going back off your, uh, that last question, there's a chance I may charge judge them more harshly. Oh, you would judge Asians more harshly? Potentially, because, I mean, knowing that um, uh, it's the pool, the applicant pool may be saturated, right? And they're well qualified and they get through. And I find out, if I find out there was preferential treatment, whether it be strong or weak, there's a part of me that's going to question, like, do you know what it is that you're going to do? Uh, I would say like, that's definitely in the back of my mind. Um, I don't want to rush to judgment because I feel like in a way in the past, I have to have to prove myself too. And mm -hmm. um, Echo and Jenny, I don't know about you, but like, um, you know, talking with my mom and um, other you know brothers and sisters, the, the mentality that I've kind of been just, uh, has been passed on to me is that you're just gonna have to work harder. And I wonder if like, I. I, I know I perpetuate that. I know I perpetuate that with my nieces and nephews. And in the way, as I'm speaking this out loud, I'm wondering if I'm doing it unconsciously with other uh, Asian, Asian American applicants that get into organization, whether I hold them to a higher standard, uh, just like the system does right now. And I, there's a part of me that's now questioning my, my racism within uh, my learned racism within this process. Do you, do you think having or not having a lot of Asian representation at the leadership level may exacerbate that? Because now you're just like one of the only few Asians and you better do well, you better 
be qualified because I'm I'm watching you as an Asian American. Is do you think that's playing into it? Um, Echo, feel free to chime in. I'm going to answer this first. I would say absolutely. I wish there were more Asians out there in leadership where I can say, "Man, this person's just average. <laughs> they're okay." And maybe somebody else is like, "Okay, they're they're really good, and they're a lot better than this average person." And then I want to say like man, this person could be a lot better. I wish we could replace this person without like, like I, I want to be like more judgmental without really like pulling down Asians, if that makes sense. Like I wish there was more so I can say like, this person does this well, does that well, but doesn't do this well. Or this person's just like totally incompetent. And I can like be judgmental on that without like uh, being judgmental on the race, if that makes any sense. I wish there were more diversity in that when I judge one person who's in that uh, top position, that uh, that it, it's not just on just their race, but more so them holistically. And I know if I were to do, be openly judgmental on that person, there could be it could be that the self hate. It could be that uh, it's viewed as uh, anti Asian or anti uh, affirmative action and. Uh, here I am just trying to be a little bit more realistic about it. If there were more representation, it would allow me to kind of uh, classify folks into different sets of competencies. And that would be nice. So in a way we, we are, I, th I think it's the same uh, struggle that other groups of color have with tokenism. Like, mm. You know, it's a lot of burden to carry if you know that you're the only person representing your group at that leadership level. And I think that's, yeah, that's definitely something that Asians share as well. Uh, there was Asian leadership that I had um, met in my previous like work settings where this person um, would get pushed out from the role that they uh, hired for because being see as like a failure to be able to do their job well. It's a leadership role. And I had this conversation with this person and it was like a really heart to heart. Like I, I share like how important to have like Asian leadership at the top and uh, like this person's departure uh, to me, like personally, like means a lot in terms like I, feel so sorry for this person and what i got in response back is like oh i feel so sorry echo that i have failed you um i i like at that moment like my heart just like no you didn't fail me i don't know if it's the system actually failed us as a connected group um but itself is like i can see this person holding on a lot of pressure to themselves uh, in that role. Um, and um, and that's like what Doc, you just mentioned there, like just brought me with that fresh memory. Um, I mean, I think that's a really, really beautiful exchange and I don't think it's gonna be problematic. Yep. We didn't mention names, but I think that yeah. just makes it human. I love it, I love yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Mm, not leader-like, not likable, not warm, not confident. Which is very frustrating, right? Because it's like, yeah. Well, we don't want to, this episode to be too depressing. So 
you know, I know we are talking about, you know, implications and, you know, some like recommendations that we think might be worthwhile. Should we kind of talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think like this is like, I think one of the highlights of this episode that we have is that, you know, we now get to come up with solutions and the problems that we see. So if you listen carefully from the last episode, it was probably kind of stark and kind of uh, depressing. But uh, I think this episode will be really interesting because we get to kind of imagine what the new world could be if we were to implement some of these things. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this. So let's let's start with the entry level position or, you know, entry into the organization. So how do like if I am uh, sitting in HR, uh, you know, what sort of policy would you recommend that organization or that person sitting in HR recommend or, or, or use when it comes to hiring diverse talent? So should we not target them at all? Because if we don't set, you know, quotas or, or goals, then it's going to be the status quo business as usual. I mean, we, sh- we should have a target. I, I, I guess my point is like having a goal, like having a diversity representation goal itself, like that, like that means itself is problematic. We, we should have target group for like a preferential support, but I don't agree that having setting a diversity goal, meaning AKA quota system hmm. is the right way to go. I kind of love this. Cause like, um, I feel like echo is articulating like this nuance aspect of like, Hey, the, the number shouldn't be the only thing that we're, we're going for. Right. It's, um, and it's such a interesting balance for us to have is that, you know, we, how do we find this middle way of, bringing this diversity, but then also not pigeonholing folks, uh, African-American, Hispanics, and Asians, and within Asians, to be able to disaggregate all that into different groups of uh, Asians and make sure that we have that representation. Um, And I think that's a really complex, um, you know, um, thing that HR has has to deal with. Uh, I'm not sure if there's a, you know, um, a, a correct answer. So maybe it's not like for us, like, it's a, how do we, yeah, like Jenny, like you said, how do we make it continue to make it more diverse? I would say for Asians, if you're looking at recruiting Asians, disaggregate some of the data and know what the, uh, you know, maybe some of the dominant groups are. And if you're looking to diversify that Asians, uh, they're, you know, uh, you can be classified from like, you know, uh, you know, anywhere from like West Asian, so Saudi Arabia, Middle East to all the way to all the way to Pacific Islander. So it's it's a wide array of folks and uh, a lot of folks in between those pieces of land. Uh, and I'm with Echo in that, you know, when you bring them in, um, I hope there is a system of support. There just there just can't be a hey, now you're in you're in now go do your work and make sure we outperform everybody. That is just so unfair and uh, unrealistic to then, you know, put a group of diverse folks together and you know, they're going to argue and then bring the best out of each other, but then to not give them that support. I think like organizations sometimes forget that in that, 
hey, if you're going to bring in a diverse group of people, give them that support, encourage them to work together to bring the best out of each other. You can't just put a bunch of uh, diverse folks together who are going to bring their viewpoints, bring their perspectives and experiences, and expect everything to work out all, all the time. Like as, an as leaders within an organization, they need to be able to add that support in there as well too. Like the conflicts are helpful, but you know, the organization support, whether in terms of just workload management or uh, ways to help uh, approach certain problems can facilitate some of this. And I wish that, you know, uh, they see it as this long process and not just like just segmented and like, hey, we have enough people. Why aren't we producing or doing better work than everybody else? That's not how it works. <laughs> I, I would actually disagree with Echo. I think quotas, you need mm -hmm. quotas in a sense that you need to measure it. You need to know that, okay, mm -hmm. this year we hired, you know, 6% black, you know, let's say 5% Latino and like 10% Asian. You need to be able to say next year, we want to increase that to X, Y, Z. So setting targets um, and measuring that against yourself year to year, I think that's important because if you don't, you're going to end up with a workplace that is majority white. Yes, maybe um, Asians at the entry level, but if unless you actually have uh, like diversity goals, um, I don't think they're going to be making much progress. And I, I believe that it is systemic. So it's about you know getting schools to admit more students of diversity and you know providing resources to high schools to you know get these students um, ready so that they can be competitive in the admission process. But that's a systemic approach. I'm talking about what can an HR person do? Should you have diversity goals? Should you establish quotas? And I actually think that you should. But you also can't just say, well, you, we only hired her because she's a woman. You really have to be thoughtful about looking at the person's qualification. And like you said, Doug, like giving them the support that they need and if it means giving more support for diverse hires initially when they join the company, I think I support that 100% to get them to be on the same playing field as you know their white counterparts. And that includes Asians, that includes especially the Southeast Asians. So I think when it comes to like entry-level positions or just like selecting people into the organization, you should have uh, diversity goals. And the way you incorporate Asians into that is for is to measure like who are the underrepresented Asian groups. Mm. Can I also add another? I love that this is like a debate. Yeah. Uh, reason why I I'm against to have a quota system there, and and also like I completely understand like where that coming from, Jenny. Like in in this case, it's like um, I. Don't deny there are some benefits to have a quota system that including Asian. The impact is immediately. My worry in the lack of maturity, how the organization be able to manage those diversities, adding the pure quota system gonna complicate things. Like for example, that stigma that we just brought up. For example, like how people are gonna view this quota that being placed on this population. And the third one that I was trying to add there is I'm worried there's going to be placed more of a, this zero-sum game 
for some people if we stick to this quota system because the number itself it's just going to be you're going to continue to see like Asians are being like increase their number African American Hispanic they're all going to increase their number and the whites are being seen like lower representation it to me it's a number game it's going to be continue to see as a zero sum but as a matter of fact it's not it's not this group decrease versus this other group is increased. There's more complexity to it. I hate to use such a simple solution to mask all the complexity and nuance to this uh, picture. Instead, what I'm proposing is when you have a diverse slate during the hiring process, instead of having a final quota, you should actually introduce a diversity slates of candidates pool. So I'm using quota interchangeably with with diversity goals, and you should have diversity goals for when you hire, when you uh, present, you know, slates. But you should also have diversity goals that you have to, you know, measure. Quota system means you need to have ten percent of Asians in your working force. What I'm say- speaking here is during the hiring process. When you're reviewing your candidates' pool, you make sure there's a diverse representation of that pool itself, that including Asians. But when it comes to the hiring decision, it can be a white, as long as you make sure the decision is because of their skills, is because they have the talents that they needed for this role, and they're a better fit than the the rest of the, the candidates you have. So what I'm proposing there is having more of a measure to the process itself, not to the final outcome. But we do have that process. Like usually, a lot of companies will say, um, "Get me a woman, get me you know the most qualified Black Asian, whatever." But they almost always end up going with the majority, which is you know white man or someone who's white. And I think that's the the process is rigged. It doesn't matter how diverse your candidate pool is. Usually, they end up going with the person who fits the majority group, and that's one of the reasons so why. Fix that process. Fix that process. It's the process that's problematic. You can't really determine the outcome during that process. So, what I'm saying is, for now, during that process, you to fix that process, it means you have to train everybody. You have to have oversight. You have to do bias training, and you have to measure that, and you have to also measure that to um, HR goals. And that's why I think a quota system actually forces you to kind of have that conversation. But I don't think you should just hire someone, like just establish a quota and say that's it. You have to have a strategy behind that quota and say the reason we have to establish like this baseline goal、um, is because there is this bias in the system among gatekeepers that's so strong that we have to mandate these goals. And Europe has done that, and they've actually. Um, increase at least for gender, not for race,、um, and they have over the past, you know, five to ten years,、um, dramatically increased the number of female leadership just through using the quota system, and that's why I think the U.S. should start using that. I mean, the government is never going to mandate that, but I think companies can start thinking about like, you know, we have to have diversity goals and we have to meet that, and if we're not tracking it and comparing it year to year, that's not going to change. We've been having this conversation about race and gender. You know, it's 2023, and there's a reason why we haven't made much progress. 
because we're not measuring them. And measuring the outcome doesn't equal to have quota system. Measure and parameters. So you have to measure it, but you also have to establish parameters. You can't just say, oh, this year we only had 2%, you know, diversity. Next year we had 2.5. Okay, we're measuring it. No, I need, I'm saying you have to measure it and you have to establish parameters. Oh, I, I think this is like, it's great that like we, we feel strongly about, and I feel like all these little things like matter and it kind of showcases like in a way our back and forth of this showcases that the, the nuance, the complexity of these things that we want to put in place to make things fair. So there's part of me that's kind of laughing. I'm like, yes, there's, we're, uh, we're, we agree on this. We disagree on that. And I think it's actually a, a quite uh, a lovely thing and we're so energized about it. And I think, you know, hopefully our audience is too, because there's so much nuance to this, right? If we were Google, let's say, and we had all this money in the world to do all this, there's a lot of things we can put in place. But you know what? A lot of organizations are small, right? Those have to follow affirmative action. They only have to be uh, larger than 50 and, and they're getting money from the government through grants or contracts and whatnot. And I think it's like at least 10K and now they have to follow uh, EEOC guidelines. Some of these organizations may be very, you know, very, very scrappy. You know, how do they make it work versus how a much larger multi-billion dollar or multi-trillion dollar organization works? I think there's going to be different approaches to each one of those. And I think it could be a mix of all the things that we're talking about, right, with the should there be a quota system and whether there's a quota or should, there, uh, should we implement that? be a goal if we don't meet the goal what does that mean uh, and so on and so forth and whether we're providing support for all this so i i, I love the fact that we're broaching all this uh, all these topics but it's so complex and nuanced for all the different organizations out there that i think they are going to have to have a uh, i don't want to use this come to jesus moment have a very uh uh deep uh conversation about how it is they want to approach this to do it in a legal and a very fair way and i think it's not upon us us three to solve all their problems it's upon them to do it and i think what we're doing is we're just bringing all the little nuances out there and i love it i love it i love it So when you when you apply for a grant from the government, they actually ask for a quota. So when you apply for like an NIH grant, they'll ask you what percentage of your population is going to be women? What percentage will be um, what what percent are you aiming to be, you know, black or Asian, Latino? You have to like specify those goals. And then uh, once your application get a, gets approved, when you provide your report, you have to give them an update. Did you meet that quota? Did you meet that goal? So that's what I'm arguing for. Is it realistic that corporations are going to do that? Probably not. Uh, but that's the only way you're going to really get traction. One thing I do think there's a, there's a benefit coming f out from that quota system is you actually making that go to 
hold the organization accountable for a certain things. Um, what I against that though is I almost feel like this is very arbitrary to determine that quota. And it's almost like you're determining the outcome without considering all the nuance that are happening in that system. Um, so I stand by my support for not having a quota system, but rather having preferential support for the groups that you need uh, based on based on their need, actually, because I've also been through certain development program in firms that designed for Asians, but they're not tailored to support my own need as an Asian. Um, we've seen that happens, um, but that's a different topic, yeah. Echo, I hear what you're saying with that. And there's a part of me that I agree with that. And I agree with Jenny as well, too. Like, sometimes like it needs to be mandated. And it's frustrating because like, I think, uh, you know, sometimes in a smaller organization, if you start out with a mostly white or all white um, uh, leadership and, you know, you're, you know, that, that organization is in a very diverse uh, part of the U.S., whether it be in the Northeast or the, you know, and your Silic- uh, uh, Silicon Valley. And, you know, you said there isn't, that that talent isn't there. It's really just unbelievable to hear, to know that somehow this organization is in, let's say, San Francisco or um, Mountain View or New York or Chicago, and you somehow have no people of color, right? And they, they'll say like, well, bring in uh, other, uh, you know, diversity comes in different ways, uh, different uh, factors, right? There are uncles, there's uh, brothers and sisters, right? And it makes me laugh, right? Okay, look, the, we are not lacking uncles, brothers and sisters. What we're lacking is people of color on in top leadership, right? Let, let's not get around that or try to uh, uh, run around uh, with that. And it's very frustrating because I feel like sometimes even I can't say it, you know, unless I'm, I'm here, uh, with you both in uh, broadcasting this on our show is that, you know, if you organizations, if you feel that diversity is valuable, make it a prerogative of your organization to bring in people of color, bring in women into your leadership positions. Otherwise, I would say as an outsider or even as an insider, as an uh, IC or even someone in, in management, I'm going to say you're not trying as hard because I know the demographics of the folks who are in New York. I know the demographics of those who are in Silicon Valley. And to say that we can't have that talent, I feel that that's just, uh, well, it's BS or just a, a way to say, you know, we, we don't, or, or did gatekeep. We tried, we couldn't do it. Did you? How hard did you try? How did hard did you try to support them? How many people of color, how many women did you interview? How about you report on that and let us know if that's what your uh, what that's what your prerogatives are? Yeah, you're. I mean, in the ideal world, if we had diverse leadership, we wouldn't need quotas. But because we don't, and because the system is set up to favor the majority group, that's why I'm arguing for it. But you know, the way that I use quotas in my head, like my organization, we don't have like actual quotas saying like Jenny, you're your partners and your vendors all have to be XYZ. But in my head, do I factor in race when I'm choosing a vendor or supplier to work with us or where I can choose where the grant money goes towards? Absolutely. 
So if I have two organizations of the same capabilities, but one happens to show up with a diverse team, I'm going to go with that organization. So that's how I incorporate that kind of like mental quota in my head. Um, and that, that's how, how, how I uh, address like the identity conscious, you know, I guess, policy um, in terms of who I decide to work with um, and hire for my projects. Yeah. So what I, I was trying to um, hold up myself to the principle is like we wanted to provide equal opportunities for everyone. Uh, what I'm against is like we immediately like making a equal outcome for mm-hmm. everyone. I don't think that's our role uh, or the HR or the organization role to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, I was gonna echo like, uh, yeah, I think it, it should be. Um, it, this should be a tough topic that organizations, those in leadership and those in uh, uh, HR roles, take seriously and consider. Um, absolutely, it's not. It's not our. Well, it is our problem, but it's not our problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're the ones making those decisions, and I, I mean, I would say, ask yourself if your client base is diverse. If you're trying to reach, let's say, like the U.S. The American population, you know, it's 40% racial minorities. And within that, it's, you know, X percent black, X percent Asian, mm. X percent Latino. So if your strategy team does not reflect that, you've got yourself a problem and you're only catering to like, you know, a shrinking majority. Yeah. And I would say, I would, you know, um, encourage uh, folks in those roles to, you know, consider, you know, whether they want to use, you know, uh, weak or strong preferential treatment uh, on uh, at those different stages and to really have that tough conversation on why they're going to do which approach or whether they just want to do some sort of enhancement program for folks that are under um, uh, historically uh, underrepresented. So when it comes to leadership positions, you know, one idea that I had, and I want to get your perspective on this, is should Asians be part of the DEI conversation um, uh, when it comes to leadership development? So at the entry level, most Asians don't have a problem getting entry into an organization. That's something that I think we can all agree on, most Asians, except for certain underrepresented groups. But how do you incorporate and include Asians? Because most diversity programs don't include Asians when it comes to like, hey, we need more Asian representation at the leadership level. So how might they incorporate us? Should should they? And how how should they do that? Because again, I think there might be pushback against that because people yeah yeah why are you including Asians in this conversation? It should just be. I I think absolutely. I think absolutely they should consider like Asians in. And in this case, it's not just Asians, um, but all the other minorities that has been neglected in the leadership uh, positions as well. And um, and what I'm seeing this is this needs to be baked in the talent review process. This needs to be baked into the calibration process. Uh, and not saying like, hey, we need to put like people's race as part of the decision making there, but rather you should have a diverse pool of candidates that you are thinking about for your successor uh, pool. You should have a diverse slate 
for everyone that you interviewed for that leadership role. And on top of all this, I felt like there are certain leadership development programs fail to really capture what really that minority group needed for. Um, I cannot speak on behalf of like other minority groups, but for Asians, I wanted to have some active ongoing conversations around how Asians are facing as a group in terms of like the challenges they had at a career. And there are ways to like uh, debacle that instead of like, yeah, we, we shouldn't just forget this group and that's it. And then you learn nothing from that process itself. Oh, that's a, such a tough question, Jenny. Um, I'm with Echo in that I wish there was, I wish there was this group. And I, I say I wish because um, I feel like it isn't, isn't there. Um, um, or the, the knowledge isn't shared amongst the group. Um, or that, you know, like if we have some of these groups, it's, you know, if we have affinity groups, it's about other things other than leadership. But I think like, if they, uh, if organizations or if leaders within an organization could be a little bit more explicit about that, to showcase like, hey, we would like to see, you know, more diverse groups move up within leadership. Uh, I would love to hear that. I would love to join that to listen in to various different groups to see how it's uh, it's worked for others. But I, I think, you know, there there may be. I think an echo alluded to this this perception of this zero-sum game of like, if you make it, I won't. Um, and I wonder how we change that mindset to, if you're not a leader in this organization, it also could mean that you could grow and become a leader elsewhere as well too. Um, I would say like one of the things I ran into when I ran at my DEI program at the startup is that, you know, they, people were wondering like, hey, where's top leadership in this? And there's the, the underlying message I was trying to convey was like, in a way, it doesn't matter. The folks who are here matter the most because you're here, because you want to be here. And you're not just going to be stuck here in this organization. Years from now, and I was thinking like 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I was already saying in my head, you, you may be the leaders that we're looking for now, later on. And I wanted to convey that to them when we were talking about unconscious biases and things that we can do to mitigate um, uh, microaggressions and incivility. So I, I would want, um, I would love to have a group like that where we're talking about, it's not only just growing within the organization, but cultivating a group of folks so that we grow and bring each other along and to, um, you know, help each other identify the, the pitfalls and whatnot, but the new strategies that we bring along to create this more diverse organization and it doesn't have to be like folks like folks don't stay two three four decades in an organization anymore there's a good chance within three to five years you may move to a different organization now i view this now is that when i meet people in an organization if they're energized and um confident and want to do all these things i think about them like they're they're going to be a leader not if not here then where I want that to be the mentality. If you're not going to be a leader here, then where and how can I help you and how can you help me achieve the goals that 
I, uh, we want to create a more diverse workforce. And I wish that was the, you know, the, 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 the central principle in which we can operate off of, like, how do we grow each other to be leaders within many organizations, not just this one? Yeah, how do we get away from that zero mm -hmm. mentality? I think it comes back to that, which is getting getting people, and that includes us as well, Asians, mm -hmm. um, who are just not supportive of these types of initiatives. Yeah. If we knew the answer to that, I think we could we'd be looking at early retirement. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a good place is what we're doing right now is just talking about it, debating it. You know, because I think the more you debate it, the more you talk about it, the less taboo it becomes. Yeah. And I think like, you know, in the last episode, I, I mentioned I was had so much anxiety around this. But again, like, I think we know that talking about it and uh, really like, you know, having this mentality, this mindset of like, this is a, a learning mindset. And this isn't about performance, you know, because in a way we are products of the system ourselves. Uh, uh, all this um, uh, racism, sexism, and we have to, in a way, kind of pull ourselves out of that. And that's kind of hard. So I want to just reiterate to our listeners that, you know, um, you know, as you think about this and maybe have realizations of your own actions and behaviors, to also be kind to yourself on the your own past behaviors. We're trying to move everybody and all our listeners and all the folks that we influence to be in a better spot and so long as we can do that I, I i would feel good about that and that creates that there's less anxiety when i think about it that way okay so if we had to summarize our key takeaways from this episode what would they be so when it comes to talking about affirmative action in the workplace as, as it relates to asians and asian americans I do think there are probably two and feel free to add more to it. I think the first one is when it comes to like uh, affirmative action in the workplace, uh, we shouldn't just like, like I, I think we all agree that we should adopt more of a race, race conscious policy uh, in those employment decision making there. Uh, and race shouldn't be just the single factor that we're considering for the employment decisions, but rather there are a lot of nuance and complexity around it. And the second, to me, I think it's important finding various ways to support the minority groups in need based on their needs. Um, so we'd be able to create more of an equal opportunities for everyone. So those are the, my two key takeaways for the organization itself. And then the third one probably is like, don't be too hard on ourselves, uh, knowing this is a still a topic yeah. that we're all trying to unpack. Um, I'm going to use a metaphor, if that's okay. Um, you know, when we're in a canoe together and we row uh, yeah, in this canoe, uh, we get each other to the other side. So I hope that um, you know, when folks listen to this uh, and hear what we say and what we, uh, our thoughts and the studies that we present, that you have to realize that this isn't necessarily just a zero-sum game. There's going to be aspects in life where you get a promotion. It would be really nice if you have that support. And if someone else gets that promotion, I hope you could be there to, you know, uh, support them and move them forward. 
and there's a good chance you never know. And I would say, like, I feel this way about, you know, our, the program that we're in uh, at TC. Like, you never know who's going to be a leader within the organization. As you cultivate and grow them, there's a chance they may pull you up as well, too. So there's as- that aspect. And not to say that there's always going to be this reciprocity, but, like, you know, just in being this good person, this good leader, uh, you, I think, put that really that, that good karma out there. And I, 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 uh, I hope our listeners get a chance to do that and i hope we get to bring each other along through this um through this thing we call life (laughs) great so it's not a zero-sum mentality and you bring others as you rise up so i think that's a good way to uh finish or end our episode do we have a haiku uh yes sure we do uh, and actually, this is interesting to see the perspective from ChatGPT, knowing like it's just a language model itself, but you can kind of tell like where it stands in terms of like the affirmative action stuff. Um, so what we have as a prompt for ChatGPT is the implication for affirmative action for Asians. And what it has wrote is affirmative mugang Consequences yet unknown. Inequality noon. Ooh, that is deep. Yeah, yeah, that is deep. Yeah. Well, thanks, ChatGPT, and well, hopefully, you listeners, or I hope this topic was interesting for you. I think this is an ongoing debate, ongoing topic that we will probably reflect on over the next, you know, months, years. Hopefully, we can join in on our conversation. Always just saying thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. That's it? Okay. <laughs>